One of my favorite ever rescue stories is the rescue story that uh, Mary Praveet tells about being a 12-year-old girl in 1945 in a Japanese-run prison camp. Uh, it was actually in China, but uh, Japan had conquered China at that time. And so the entire Christian boarding school that Mary was at was taken captive by the Japanese troops when they came. And so she's in this uh, Japanese prison camp for two years. She says that she was actually sick with diarrhea and in the infirmary uh, that the prison camp had. And uh, here's what it sounded like on the day of her rescue. Remember, she's been uh, two years in this prison camp. And during this time, uh, some of her teachers had lost 100 pounds. There are 1,500 uh, prisoners altogether. And she's been there uh, since she was 10 years old. So here's what she says. I heard the drone of an airplane. This is August 17th, 1945. I heard the drone of an airplane far above the camp, sweaty and barefoot. I raced to the dormitory window and watched in disbelief. A plane emblazoned with the American star and six Americans parachuting from the sky. Weishan, that's the camp. Weishan went mad. I raced for the entry gates. A tidal wave of prisoners, ragtag, barefoot, hollow with hunger, but intoxicated with joy, swept past the Japanese guards into the fields beyond the camp. Prisoners ran in circles. They wept, hugged, danced. They ripped off their shirts and waved at the B-24 Liberator circling overhead. And uh, so all the crowd had run out to the field to meet the American soldiers, and uh, they were bringing the American soldiers, escorting them back into the camp now. And so she says, in the distance near the gate, the music of happy days are here again, drifted out into the fields. It was the Salvation Army band blasting its joyful victory medley. And when it got to the Star Spangled Banner, the crowd hushed. Oh, say, does that Star Spangled Banner still wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave? And a young American trombonist in the Salvation Army band crumpled to the ground and wept. He knew what we all knew. We were free. Isn't that a great story? I love that rescue story. Well, today we are talking about the effect of the gospel on people everywhere when they hear the truth of Jesus. And that rescue story is the way our lives end. The Lord Jesus coming as the liberator and bringing us out of a really hard world because we do live in a really hard world and taking us to his paradise forever. All right, we are in the book of Acts, chapter 14 today in our series on the book of Acts. And it's time for, in the first missionary journey, for the traveling party to go to Iconium. They've been through the island of Paphos. They have gone through uh, the city of Antioch and were expelled. And now it's time for them to come to Iconium. So here's where we pick up the story. Came to pass in Iconium that they both went together into the synagogue of the Jews, that is, Paul and Barnabas, and spoke so that a great multitude of Jews also and Greeks believed. So it was very effective there. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil against the brethren. A long time, therefore, they remained speaking boldly in the Lord, who gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided. And part held with the Jews, and part held with the apostles. And when there was an assault made by both the Gentiles and also the Jews with their rulers to treat them spitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled to Lystra. 
So it started out beautifully, right? But then next thing you know, uh, their lives are on the line and they have to run away from Iconium and go to Lystra. Remember, we're in the area of Galatia. And I know that you can't see most things on this map, but the blue part is the Mediterranean Sea. And I always think that that looks like a dog's nose. And so we're on top of the dog's nose. And that whole area is the region of Galatia. And the principal cities in Galatia are Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. And you can remember that with a little acronym, ALD. Like, what ails you? Only past tense, spelled wrong. Ailed. What ailed you? Why, why were you sick? What ailed you? Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. Ailed. And so, when the apostles get done with their first missionary journey, which has been primarily in Galatia, they go home and Paul will write the book of Galatians. So, that's where we are today. Antioch, you see at the very top of the map, there's a red arrow that's pointing to Antioch. And from Antioch, they move to the right and down a little on the slide. And that's Iconium. And then straight down again a little further to get to Lystra. So that's where we are today. All right. This drama in Galatia is so relevant to all of us who have drama in the world. And so we're going to talk about two big ideas. The first is continuing in the Christian way of life and thinking no matter what happens next. That's what Paul and the apostles and the traveling party have to do. And that's what all Christians everywhere have to do. And also continue in the Christian way of life and thinking because of what happens next, because of what happens after all, you know, the rescue party. All right. So the idea of continuance keeps coming up in the book of Acts. So in chapter 13, verse 43, uh, we read that when Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch, here's what he told the people to do. Paul and Barnabas persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So you see the word continue, right? And this time continue in grace. Now we are one chapter later, chapter 14, verse 21. It says, Paul and Barnabas returned again to Lystra, to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. So continue in the grace of God, continue in the faith, continue, continue. That was very important. Uh, the, the believers must continue, and it's important to you. You must continue. All right, what did they mean when they told the believers, exhorted the believers to please continue in the grace of God? What did they mean? Well, they meant warmly remembering his free salvation. Uh, that's just such a, a, a blessing to remember that. So, so bear that in mind at all times, plus unceasingly relying on his gifts of wisdom and strength to resist temptation and his emotional lift and enablement, strength for service. To, to have those ideas uh, unceasingly crossing your mind. Continue in the grace of God. You have a wonderful salvation. And the Lord is gracing you all day, every day with his wisdom and his power and his joy. So you just... Keep that. Stay with it. Continue with those things fixed in your thoughts. Be, if you will, obsessed, fixated on those things. And then the same idea in chapter 14, verse 22, but with a little different nuance, right? Uh, Continuing the faith. That is believing in all the distinctively Christian beliefs about God. That is his personality, his one of a kind rescue for the human race. His unchallenged power, because there are demonic powers all around Galatia. But God's power is unchallengeable. So bear that in mind. He, he is not at any time being a victim in this world. God is in control. And his superintelligence and his 
incomprehensible love. Be fixated. Just continue in the faith. So that's what they're supposed to continue in. That's what you have to continue in. All right, just to remind you then, um, continue in the Christian way of life and thinking no matter what happens next, because a lot of things have happened next since they've been on this missionary tour. Remember when they were on the island of Patmos in the beginning of chapter 13, they had spiritual warfare with Elemis the sorcerer. That was pretty intense. They must have been delighted that the governor of the island, the proconsul of the island, uh, Sergius Paulus, became a Christian, but there was spiritual warfare from day one. At Antioch, they were probably delighted that many of the Jewish people believed and religious proselytes, delightful. But then they were persecuted and expelled from city limits. So, hard going. At Iconium, a great multitude believed, yay, and then they were almost stoned to death and forced to flee. So everything is just swinging wildly back and forth. It's sort of a a bipolar life that all of us live. You know, it's good, it's hard, it's good, it's hard. This is the way. This is ever the way in the Christian life. It was the apostles' lot in life, and it's your lot in life. Yay, you know, we're so thankful, we're so happy. Like, oh, that's so disappointing. And back and forth we go. In Acts 14.1, Let's watch the swing from tremendous uh, success and accomplishment to running for your life. All right. It came to pass in Iconium that they both went together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude believed. Okay. Verse two. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil against the brethren. So they remained a long time speaking boldly, uh, giving testimony, the Lord helping them do miracles. Verse five. That's what we read a moment ago, right? Then there was the assault. They're going to treat them spitefully. They were going to stone them. And so they have to flee to Lystra. Same thing in Lystra. Tremendous highs and then tremendous lows. At first, the highs. So chapter 14, verse 8. And a certain man at Lystra sat there without strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly looking at him, And perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lift up their voices, saying in the speech of Lycaonia. In other words, they weren't speaking Greek. And it's possible that Paul didn't really know what they were saying. Like, I don't really know that language. So they're saying in the speech of Lycaonia, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And they call Barnabas Jupiter which is the same as Zeus, and they called Paul Mercury, which is the same of, as uh, Hermes. And the idea was that Hermes was the god of oration, and Paul was a good speaker. Said, oh, he is the god of oration, and uh, Hermes speaks for Zeus, so Barnabas must be Zeus. And so they have identified Paul and Barnabas as Roman gods. They thought he was... Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And then in verse 13, the priest of Jupiter, Zeus, who was in front of their city, he had a headquarters, a shrine, a temple of some kind at the front gates of the city. He brought oxen and garland because you decorate the oxen that you're going to make a sacrifice with. You decorate them and then you kill them. He brought oxen and garlands uh, to the gates and he would have done sacrifice with the people. Let's make a sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. Like, oh, no. Since the apostles did not start out 
with a synagogue ministry here in Lystra. We can only imagine that there weren't even enough Jewish people there to have a gathering, so there was no synagogue worship in Lystra. At least if the Jewish people had been established in Lystra, there would be a base of operations. You could go talk to the Jewish people, and some of them might understand the Jewishness of Messiah. But here we don't even have enough Jewish people to make a congregation. So Lystra has very few Jewish people. Bearing in mind, however, that Timothy is from Lystra, and his grandmother and mother were outstanding believers. So there were at least you know, three believers in Lystra, but apparently not enough to have a synagogue. A synagogue means a gathering. Paul and Barnabas start out as heroes. Like, listen to these people. This, this Paul, he speaks like a god. And also, they healed this guy who had never walked. Yay, heroes. But then everything falls apart in a blink. When the apostles understood because they didn't speak the speech of Lycaonia, but when they did understand what was happening, Barnabas and Paul heard of what they were doing. They tore their clothes, ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? We are also men of like passions with you, and we preach to you that you should turn from these vain things unto the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are in them, who in times past allowed all nations to walk in their ways, in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they scarcely restrained the people from sacrificing to them. And then, you know, from heroes to this. And then there came certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium and persuaded the people. And having stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. We went from making a sacrifice to him to executing him, stoning him to death with a lynch mob. Unbelievable. You go from the highest highs to the lowest lows on the same day. Paul went from being revered to being lynched. Amazing. It says in verse 19, there came those people, certain Jews, from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, they executed him. And you know what stoning is, right? You take stones about the size of a cantaloupe or a watermelon And you pelt the guy with them until he's dead. They persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. But as the disciples stood around him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So you have to see the drama of this, right? Drama in Galatia. They were going to sacrifice. Hours later... They stoned Paul, perhaps to death, but they drag him outside. He gets up. And you think that he runs away? He goes right back into the city where this just happened. What madness is this, right? What must it have been like for Paul to walk right back into Lystra on the same day that he was just executed by a lynch mob. What must that have been like? Can you imagine? And interestingly, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, perhaps this is the second time Paul died and revived. 
Or if he didn't die and revive, then this is at least a near-death experience. And it is his second time. So in case you weren't here a couple weeks ago when I explained this, let me go through it quickly one more time. So we're looking today at Acts 13, verse 19, right? They stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city. His friends are standing around and he rises up and then walks back into the city. All right. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, Paul talks about another time that was just like this, evidently. He says, I knew a man in Christ more than 14 years ago. And he's talking about himself, but he's trying to be humble. Almost everybody agrees he's talking about himself. There aren't really any naysayers to that idea. So I knew a man in Christ more than 14 years ago. Now, if 2 Corinthians is written in 57 AD, and that's a pretty good number. It could be 56, 57, or even 58. We, we could live with that. Uh, but about 57 or 56. Then 14 years ago is going to be like 43 or 42 AD. Well, that was before. That was when Paul was out soloing by himself. It, it was before he and Barnabas ever linked up at Antioch. So just to keep your timestamps, okay? Second Corinthians says more than 14 years ago. I died or nearly died more than 14 years ago. But this, the missionary tour, is happening in uh, 47. And so if 2 Corinthians is 57 and the missionary tour in Lystra is 47, that's not more than 14 years. It will never be more than 14 years. In other words, something happened about 10 years in Lystra, 10 years after 2 Corinthians was written, and that's what we're looking at today in the book of Acts. That's 10 years. But something else happened more than 14 years ago. So it looks like this happened to Paul twice. He said, whether in the body I cannot tell or out of the body I cannot tell, God knows. Did I actually die or was it just near death? Don't know. God knows. He says, I knew such a man. He was caught up to the third heaven. He was caught up into paradise and he heard unspeakable, inexpressible words, which it is not lawful permitted for a man to speak. So it looks for all the world that Paul either died twice and came back to life twice, or he nearly died twice and came back to consciousness twice. We don't know for sure which one it is, but probably the scales tip in favor of him actually dying and being revived in his life twice. This whole point so far has been that we have to continue in the Christian way of life and thinking no matter what happens next. No matter what happens next. Verse 20 says, As the disciples stood around him, he rose up and came into the city. He went into the city. Why? I mean, you should run away from those people as fast as you can. You just don't go back. And a lot of us think, actually, he kind of liked being dead and he was hoping they would do it again. Now, that's speculation. But he went back to the city. And uh, what we see here is that loyalty to Jesus so dominated Paul's thoughts once again that no other consideration really ever registered in his mind, which is just wonderful. So you see, when he says continue in the grace of God, continue in the faith, he knows whereof he speaks because he certainly continued in the grace of God and he continued 
in the faith. It was as if Paul was saying, I will always be loyal to Jesus, even if it kills me, even if it kills me twice. And then you just have to remember that eventually Emperor Nero did put Paul in prison and kill him. And so in that case, uh, Paul was willing to lay his life on the line three times for his love of Jesus. All right. And one more thing to notice before we leave this point. Continuing in the faith includes continuing in the church, in fellowship with the church. Remember in chapter 2 of Acts, they continued, there's that word again, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking in bread and prayers. They continued with their church, fellowship, hearing the word of God. They continued. And that is necessary because that was so important to the early church. We read in chapter 14, verse 21, And Paul and Barnabas returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, retracing their steps, right? And when they had ordained for them elders, plural, leaders, in every church. These are probably brand new believers, right? They've only been Christians for months. Brand new believers, but they seem to be teachable. They were, they were uh, interested in everything that Paul and Barnabas would say. They were quick learners, so they became elders. And they were also honest and sturdy brothers. So these brand new Christians become the leaders of brand new churches. And Paul and Barnabas don't want to leave without having churches established. They need to be in church. You know, we're not leaving here. Until we have churches in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, we've got to have churches. And so churches they have. And hopefully that will remind you to continue in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. You have to continue with the church. All right. Paul's drama in Galatia. Then uh, we not only continue no matter what happens, we continue because of what shall happen. We're pretty excited about what shall happen. So chapter 14, verse 21. And they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them and listen to the exhortation, exhorting them to continue in the faith. And here it is. And that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Tribulation is hardship. Now you have to continue because it's going to be hard. There's going to be tribulation. Let me take that back. There's going to be a lot of tribulation, a lot of hardship. So you have to continue in the faith, right? And don't be surprised if there's hardship. It is through much hardship that we all have to enter the kingdom of God. Now, just because we have to have a little theological aside here to explain what they meant by that, we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. You have to remember that this is speaking about entering geographically the kingdom of God. Because believers are already in the kingdom of God in two senses. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are already in the kingdom of God in two senses. The first sense is that you are citizens of heaven. You are citizens of God's heavenly kingdom because your paperwork is done. You know, let's say that you wanted to um, come to the United States from another country and you wanted to be a citizen and you were still in the other country. Well, you could get your citizenship papers and you are a citizen even though you still live in your home country. 
And you could come here any time, but you're not here yet geographically. So you're a citizen, but you're not here yet. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. All your paperwork is in because you've trusted Jesus as your savior. You are a citizen of heaven, but you're not exactly there yet, right? But then there is another sense, and this gets us a little closer still to that heavenly um, possession. And that is you are a citizen by the link, the mechanical connecting link of the Holy Spirit. So remember, you know that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father at this very moment, right? In heaven, right? That's where he is. Jesus' spirit is in you. Jesus said, I will be in you. Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit, is in you. The Holy Spirit is also in Jesus. You have an invisible connecting link. You say, well, you can't have an invisible connecting link. The only reason you ever say a thing like that is because you haven't watched enough TV. Um, Or you haven't gone to the movies enough. If you watch Star Trek or Star Wars, you will learn that there is a tractor beam. You probably haven't ever seen one, but it's, it's very real, believe me. And in a tractor beam, it's like this invisible link between your spaceship or space station and somebody else's spaceship. Say, I don't see it. Yeah, well, that's how forces of the universe are. Say, well, I don't see the Holy Spirit linking me to heaven right now. Well, let's just say the tractor beam is on and you are linked. And so in that sense, you're connected with the kingdom of God right now where you stand. But there is yet a future time, right? When you will be there geographically. The tractor beam is pulling you to the mothership and you're going to be there in a minute. That's what's happening right now. You are already in the kingdom of God by your paperwork being in and by the tractor beam of the Holy Spirit's link between your spirit and Christ's spirit. That's happening. But... You don't actually get to go all the way geographically to the kingdom of God until you either die or until the rapture happens. In that case, then you will be changed and fit for your heavenly kingdom. And in a moment of time, so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the future. All right. Just so you know, we're not at living here. Colossians 1.13. Notice you are already past tense in the kingdom of God. The Father has delivered us from the power of darkness and has has translated us. That's past tense. You're already in the kingdom of God. And has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You're already there. See, past tense. Okay, well then we're already there. Now, but there's another aspect that's future. So Acts 14.22, our text for today. We must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God geographically. Either you're going to die or you'll survive until the rapture. Either way, you don't get to go into heaven until one of those two things happen. And until then, it's going to be a lot of hardship. After I finished last week's message, my good friend Tom Rogers came up to me and said, thanks for the encouragement. You know, we were talking about hardship. Today, more of that. I'm sorry, it's not my fault. Uh, The text says through much tribulation, right? All right. You know that life in this world is hard for everyone. Sometimes you imagine, oh, everybody has it so easy. Nobody in this world has it easy. Nobody. So let's review, shall we? I always thought this would be the greatest ever high school graduation speech. But, if, you know, you'd never do it. You know, you'd say, rah, rah, it's going to be great. What do you see? But, but besides that, 
this is real life. And that's Bible. You know how you're going to get through this world? All beat up. That's how you'll get through this world. Four out of ten of us Americans will have cancer in our lifetimes. That's quite a bunch, you know. Four out of ten. What if we just lined up everybody right here? One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, three, you know, that. And say, okay, uh, every fourth person out of ten, raise your hand, uh, you get cancer. That'd be a lot of us. That's life. One out of five of us Americans will endure a divorce. Think, okay, well, no, but you don't understand. Divorce, like, changes everything. It, it is so emotional. It's so hard. Divorced individuals among all people without families account for a disproportionate number of suicides. That's just social science. That's just true. Divorce can even cause the same symptoms as PTSD in individuals who feel betrayed or abandoned. There are people who are going through divorces because they've been betrayed or abandoned. And when their cell phone dings with a text message or a certain ringtone, their heart just palpitates. It's like PTSD. And it it truly is uh, identical symptoms to PTSD for some people. They go, you know, so uh, one out of five of us will endure a divorce. No, I mean, it is hard, hard, agonizing. Marriage stability is even a significant factor in an individual's financial stability. So once you're divorced, that changes your finances, which is another layer of stress. Four out of ten of our American children will be born without married parents. They're okay, well, no, you don't understand. It is a huge advantage in life to be born to parents who are married and if they stay together and don't divorce. Another huge advantage in life. It just is. Again, this is social science. Uh, Brad Wilcox, sociologist. He says, children are more likely to thrive educationally, socially, and professionally when they are raised by married, biological parents compared with being raised by a single parent or a stepfamily. Who is telling you this? But this is important. This is coming from the social sciences. A Princeton Brookings journal says cohabitating family units, like they've decided not to get married, which is happening more and more right now, right? Cohabiting family units are called fragile families in sociology. Fragile families. And the problem with fragile families is that family instability in school-aged children correlates with higher rates of aggressive and general behavioral problems, strained peer relationships, they have a hard time with friendship, negative teacher assessments, depression, poor school performance, and drug abuse. So four out of ten of our American children, you know, I'm sure this this room has many individuals who were not raised by their biological parents and have come from fragile families. They go, well, you know, tough luck. Like, no. Life is hard. This changes everything in your hard wiring. Life is hard. One out of six of our children are not neurotypical, as we say now. That is, they have a a diagnosable, either mild or severe disability, ranging from something simple like a little bit of dyslexia to something profound like severe autism. One out of six of our children. You think, so what? Um, I had two sons who just had a little problem with... Uh, their eyes being crossed. And we were able to fix that, uh, thankfully, with 
modern medicine. When my one son had the surgery to repair the crossed eyes, a nurse was talking to us and she said, when I was young, I had crossed eyes and everybody made fun of me. And you can't imagine how that affected my life. And we were so thankful that the doctors were able to fix this. But anyway, if you have something, uh, a, a learning disability of some kind, it affects everything. Oh, well, you know, so what? You get your, your letters confused, your numbers confused, or, you know, you're, you're on the spectrum somehow. So what? Like, no, 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 no. Life is hard. That's one out of six of our children. So 15% of all our, 15% is a big number, right? One out of six. 15% of our public school children receive Disabilities Act educational services. That is, they need special attention because they don't learn too well uh, in one way or another or maybe in every way. But they all need special attention, 15%. One out of 36 of all of our children have autism. And of course, that's a huge spectrum. But, you know, that, that's just huge. That, that just changes everything. Life is hard. Uh, if you're a parent and you have a child with one of these, you know, neurodiverse um, conditions, life is hard for the parent. Life is hard for the child. Life is hard. Financial hardships. We're going to do a 50-year comparison here. And when you calculate everything, you know, with real wage increase and everything, household income has increased 16% in the last 50 years. So basically, you know, my lifetime. But house prices have increased 190%. You know, there's a big difference between 16% and 190%. College costs have increased 264%. That's mind-boggling. Four years alone, the past four years, grocery prices have increased 25%. Fast food prices have increased 29%. That's in four years' time. Today, the average new car payment is $726 a month for a car. That used to be a mortgage payment. Now we're doing that for cars. And even a used car payment is $533 a month. Staggering. How is a young person supposed to function in this environment? One uh, Twitter user posted this, and uh, it's just so indicative of what's happening. She said, 20 years ago, working as a food server, a waitress, I lived in a corner one-bedroom apartment downtown with amazing water views for $700 a month. A similar apartment now is $3,600 a month, more than five times as much. As a lawyer at age 47, I am unable to afford living in the apartment I did at 27 while waiting tables. That's our world right now. That's hard. Life is hard. One TikTok user, a father with two little boys in the back seat, showed on TikTok his receipt for Taco Bell. It was $53 for him, his wife, and his two little boys. $53 at Taco Bell. Finances are just crazy right now. A December uh, last year Newsweek article suggested that maybe if you make $74,000 a year, you are what we would call middle class, $74,000 a year. Bearing in mind that a lot of people only wish they made $74,000 a year. But if you make $74,000 a year, you're middle class. And then um, financial expert Andre Zik was talking about this. 
And he says, all right, let's try it, shall we? If middle class means you can have your own house and you can uh, expect to help your kids with education, let's try it, shall we? So he says, the median home sale price recently, this past year, was $432,000 for a home. And the current interest rate is about 7%. And most people, young people, when they buy a house, they can only put down about 6 to 7%. So that means the young person has to put down $30,000 that he saved up and then have a loan for $400,000. And that's going to give him a $3,200 a month payment for his house, mortgage payment. Well, then they calculate further. A thrifty person, you're going to have to be pretty thrifty to do this. But a thrifty person who makes $74,000 a year will take at least four years to save $30,000 for his down payment. You think, good, now I can get my house. No, you still can't get your house. The banks aren't going to give a person who makes $74,000 a year a loan on a $400,000 house. If you want a $400,000 house, you have to make $120,000 a year. So you've just been bumped out of the median house. You could go live in a terrible neighborhood if you want to. But if you thought you were going to live in a nice house, you might have another thing coming at $74,000 a year. Life is hard. One out of four of us Americans are now taking prescription mental health medication. Is life hard? Evidently, because we're all stressed out and taking medication, life must be pretty hard. Life is hard. What we've talked about so far, cancer, divorce, fatherlessness and fragile families and non-neurotypical children and financial anxiety and mental health. Is life hard? Life is hard. Now, the apostles say, and do you know that you also have to suffer for Jesus? Are you prepared to do that? Through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom of God. Everybody has these tribulations, but now you want to follow Jesus. And that adds a whole new layer. Are you prepared to do that? Are you going to continue in the faith? Because through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom of God geographically. Remember, we've shown you this list a few times of all the sufferings in the book of Acts, all the persecutions. Last week, I reminded you that as a Christian here in the United States, you should be braced for what researcher George Yancey has talked about. Again, we did this last week, so I'm going to go just very quickly. But George Yancey's research shows that 32% of all Americans don't like you if you're going to walk with Jesus. They don't like you. His research shows that if you wanted to work in the field of education, two out of five educators explicitly stated that they would like not to hire you if you're going to follow Jesus. Academics with socially conservative perspectives tend not to get promoted, even when they have done an equal job. That's according to a sociologist's data, his research. He says there is widespread religious discrimination against Christian medical students. You might not get the plum opportunities because you've been representing Jesus. Are you prepared to do that? Through much tribulation, we will enter God's kingdom geographically. When we die or when he comes back, it's going to be a hard row. Are you prepared for that? One couple held the wrong views on LGBTQ plus issues. So they were denied approval for foster parenting. One doctor was forced to resign as a social worker. 
A marriage counselor was terminated from his position. A baker was tried for refusing to make cakes with obscene images and verbiage on them. A website designer was tried for refusing to depict same-sex weddings in a good light. Are you prepared to do that? Through much tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God geographically. High school football coach was terminated for praying silently after games. You're not allowed to represent Jesus in the public school system sometimes. A Christian organization was targeted by the IRS for promoting Christian family ethic, Christian work ethic, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Are you prepared to do that? Paul says, we exhort you to continue in the faith because it is through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom of God geographically. And that's the way it was. When they were in the island of uh, Cyprus, right? Harassment by Elemis, the sorcerer. At Perga, their good friend John Mark abandoned them. Heartbreak. He was my friend and he left me. Persecution and expulsion from Antioch by angry people. Near stoning at Iconium by angry people. Actual stoning at Lystra by angry people. So here's our conclusion. Brace yourself. Remind yourself and resolve within yourself to continue in the Christian way of life no matter what comes next, knowing uh, there's probably going to be some unpleasantness coming up next in part two. And remind yourself why you definitely want to do this. Why continue in the grace of God? Why continue in the faith? It's like Mary Praveet at the beginning, you know? You are in the concentration camp. You live in Jurassic Park. You live like in a prison camp around here, and it's not easy. But you wait till the liberator comes, and there's going to be dancing, and you're going to be so glad you continued in the faith. Can we stand and be dismissed with prayer? Father God, I pray that if anybody is going through a really hard time right now, and maybe wavering a little bit, maybe they think it's hard to obey, be easier to stop, I pray that they won't do that, that they would continue in the grace of your son, that they would continue in the faith. And I pray that as we walk out of here today, we will be resolved within our hearts to be wonderful for you every day until either we come to you in death or you come for us to catch away your church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.